So it's my duty as your guide through the vagaries of this text, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, to deal with the subject of circumcision. Last week, uh, we took a look at this passage, uh, the first week that we read uh, verses 11 through 15 together, and we said that one of the ways to understand, to synthesize the passage, to really try to process it is uh, to speak of the identification of the believer with Christ. I pointed that out last week. If you look at the, the text beginning in verse 11, it begins with the words, in him. And then the very last words of uh, this passage in verse 15 are again the words, in him. And between the in him of verse 11 and the in him ending verse 15, uh, three times in the English Standard Version, uh, we see the phrase again, with him. So this is a way of, particularly this passage where we're, Paul's talking about a subject that, frankly, we don't often talk about in, in the Christian church, the place of circumcision. If somebody walked in here this morning and said, y'all need to be circumcised, we would say, you're crazy, <laughs> especially if you're a man. If we know anything about the Bible, the New Testament, Paul's gospel message, we know that he militated against what was known as the circumcision party. And trust me, circumcision is no party. But there were a group of people who were militating for that in the early church. And, and Paul has touched on this. He says this is part of the elemental principles of the world. This is part of human tradition. They want you to go back. That Christ is not enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything is not enough. According to the uh, Judaizers, you have to have Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus eating the right food or, or not eating the wrong food. Uh, Jesus plus some sort of ascetic discipline. And Paul is saying no, and this is why we're calling this series Christ Our Fullness, that if you are in Christ, he is enough. Christ plus nothing equals everything. So circumcision is not the issue in the church today, but trust me, there are still people in the church who really don't understand the depth of the pure gospel, Paul's gospel, who are constantly accosting us and encouraging us, forcing us, commanding us, even at times, that whatever we're doing is not enough. How many have run into those people? It's not enough that you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to have, uh, let, let's say, let, there's a whole list of them. You have to have quiet time with the Lord. <laughs> Um, Elizabeth Elliot, you know, she was uh, the wife of Jim Elliot, who was martyred in South America. I read about her one time, somebody was sharing a taxi with her, another believer, and she was uh, quizzing him about his devotional habits. 
And he said, well, you know, really probably I don't do it first thing in the morning. I don't get up and pray and read my Bible because I'm not a morning person. And she said, it doesn't matter whether you're a morning person or not. This is what you should do. So we've all been subjected. The subject is not Jesus plus circumcision, but it's Jesus plus, are you reading your Bible? Uh, Jesus plus, are you praying? Uh, I've heard people say that unless, you're not really a Christian unless you pray an hour a day. And they mean down on your knees, you know, uh, you, you can't pray on your way to work or you can't pray uh, while you're riding the bus. You know, prayer to them means a specific posture for a certain amount of time. All of those things then encroach upon the freedom, the liberty, which Christ uh, secured for us in what the text calls the circumcision of Christ. It's a strange phrase, So here's one way of understanding the passage, in him, with him, with him, with him, in him, the believer's privilege of being identified with Christ. But I want you to focus on that phrase because we find it in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised. So obviously he's speaking to both men and women here. He can't be talking about the literal uh, process of circumcision. Circumcision, as we'll see in the Old Testament, was required for, for males, but not for women. In him, he says, you also were circumcised, verse 11, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by, and there's the phrase, the circumcision of Christ. So we're going to explore the subject of circumcision uh, this morning to give us the, the right background. And unfortunately, it's going to be one of those Sundays where we're not going to be picking fruit. We're going to be doing spade work in the garden, the necessary preparation, so that the passage can be fruitful uh, to us uh, down the road. What is meant then by this uh, circumcision of Christ? It can't be speaking of his actual circumcision that took place eight days after he was born. Uh, why would we care about that? We would assume, and the text allows us not just to be an assumption, but Mary and Joseph, eight days after Jesus was born, they took him up to the temple on the eighth day, and there he was given his name, and he was circumcised. So the church calendar reflects that uh, chronology. December 25th is uh, we celebrate Christ's birth, And then eight days later on January 1st, what is on the church's calendar? The circumcision of Christ. Circumcision of Christ, as Paul is using it, cannot be speaking of his actual circumcision as an eight-day-old child. What does it mean? And how are we to understand how writers, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, teased out the meaning of circumcision? So we'll start with this statement uh, by William Hendrickson. Uh, He says, we now learn that the error that was being propagated at Colossae, and there was an error, 
We know that there was uh, a threatening uh, philosophy um, that was uh, had the potential to lead the Colossians into error and possibly into heresy. Uh, if you look in chapter 2 and verse number uh, 4, Paul says, I say this in order that, no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So uh, these teachers of the philosophy were knocking on the door at Colossae, and they had fine-sounding arguments. In verse uh, 8, he says, see to it. This, is, this should be on your uh, list of things to do. See to it that no one takes you captive. The language is very strong there. It's the, it's the language of slavery. See to it that no one enslaves you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to, one translation has, the elementary principles of the world. And this is what the Judaizers were doing. They were saying Jesus is not enough. Um, you have to add something to Jesus to make Jesus work. And let's start with circumcision. Strange to our ears, but this is where uh, Paul is at in the text. He is telling us now, he's going to tell us in the balance of chapter 2, what the threats actually were. And he begins with circumcision on our ears in the year 2021, this is like, this is the sermon we could miss. <laughs> you can't possibly get anything out of the subject of circumcision that I will be able to apply when I walk out the doors and get in my car. Well, that's my, that's my task this, this morning. That's what is on uh, the table before us today. So here's the danger. The teachers of false doctrine, Hendrickson says, were advertising such things as circumcision, rigid adherence to dietary restrictions, and strict observance of festivals and Sabbaths. So that's the context. What is meant then by this phrase, the circumcision of Christ? I love what Seitz says. Here's where we're headed. This is where we're going to end up. This will give you a little taste to see, and we're going to have to do some legwork to get there. But here's where we're headed. On the cross, we heard uh, Tim Keller say that the circumcision of Christ has to do with Christ's death on the cross. Old Testament circumcision was a type of a person dying to themselves. As moderns, one of the distinctive characteristics of modern society, and, and uh, there's an argument that rages, rages now, are we still in modern, the age of modernity, or are we in a postmodern culture? I think we're in that mix somewhere, but modernism has its effect on, on postmodernism. But one of the characteristics of modernism is the rise of the self. Who sang the song, Sammy Davis? I did it 
my way. The, Dan Scott says that's the song of the damned in hell. I did it my way. There was a time where human beings did not have a concept of the self. Their conception was more community-oriented. What was the common good? What was the best? That my life, in fact, uh, was not as important as someone else's life, that I would be willing, this resounds in the pages of the New Testament, no greater love can a person show than to lay their life down for someone else. Uh, the rise of the self in modernity says, no, 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 no. You know, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. How many run into this all the time? How many run into this all the time with yourself? I don't want to do that. And, and guess what? I'm not going to do it. I don't care what they say. I don't care who they think they are. I don't care what kind of reasons they come up with. I ain't going to do it. Circumcision in the Old Testament was God saying, you are not your own. In fact, the minutia of the law in the Old Testament, some say better than 600 commands, was God imposing his way on his people. I will be your God. (laughs) It's not... It's not an invitation to walk the aisle and give your heart to Jesus. I will be your God and you will be my people. And when Moses forgets about this sign of the covenant in the pages of Exodus, God, the text tells us that God is ready to kill Moses because he has men who are uncircumcised in his community. Circumcision in the Old Testament was then God saying, you are going to bear in your body a mark that says, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to me. And we don't like that language. We don't like the language of discipleship. Uh, We don't like the language of submission because as moderns, we are thoroughly convinced that I'm going to, Uh, I did it my way. I'm going to do it my way. But in the covenant community, the self is submerged in the collective good. Now, sometimes that can be overextended. Sometimes it can be perverted and misused. But if it's done properly, then we live our lives for Christ and one another. Isn't it? Christy talked about that this morning. This is what the covenant community is. We live our lives in Christ and for one another. So here's where we're headed then. That gets us a little bit further down the road. On the cross, God carved out for us in his son a new circumcised life for which the former circumcision we're talking about in the Older Testament, the sign of the covenant that God established with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, 
former circumcision by hands was a pledge and an earnest. In other words, if you look in the text again, in uh, chapter 2, Paul says in verse 17, these, and by that word, he also includes circumcision, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in Genesis, uh, we won't take the time to look at Genesis 17 this morning. Let me just give you a thumbnail of it. In Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abram. Hasn't changed his name yet. He comes to Abram and he says, this is where God establishes the covenant with Abram and through uh, the process of justification. Uh, let, let's just look quickly there because I don't want to mangle uh, of the text by my poor memory. But look at, in chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So Isaac has not, the promised child has not been born yet. Verse five, and God brought Abram outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abram is complaining. He has no heir. He's saying, you promised this child this child to me, and now God is saying to look up and count the stars of the midnight sky. This is how I'm going to fulfill the promise to you. You're looking at your offspring. Abram had a choice there. He could say, oh, get away. Go on, shut the door. God, really? You're kidding. But what does the text say? Verse 6 of chapter 15, one of the most important texts in the Old Testament, quoted three times in the New Testament. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So there was no way that Abram could bring that promise about by himself. We know that he tried. And his wife said, well, take my uh, uh, woman servant, go into her, and that is the birth of Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the promised child. Abram believed God, and God counted it to him as righteous. The whole New Testament plan of salvation, of being saved by grace through faith, is based on that verse. Abram believed God. He had no intrinsic ability to bring God's promise about by himself, and he proves that. The New Testament tells us that Abraham was 99 years old. <laughs> His body was dead 
Can you say the word dead with me? Dead. Capital D, capital E, capital A, capital D. 99 years old. Sarah's womb was dead. But there came a night when Abraham looked at Sarah and said, Woohoo! You're supposed to smile on that one. <laughs> it wasn't, Isaac's birth was not a virgin birth. We heard it in the text this morning, Genesis chapter 2. A man shall leave his parents and cling to his wife. They no longer shall be two, but they shall become one flesh. That is a picture of marital intimacy. There was a night, even though Isaac's body was dead, and even though Sarah's womb was dead, they tripped the light fantastic, and the promised child was born. How did this come about? It came about because Abraham believed God. He believed God. Paul tells us in Romans, he did not consider the deadness of his own body. Now, what is interesting about this is that this is then salvation. Anyone who's saved by God, Old Testament or New Testament, they're always saved by grace through faith. You never got saved by the law. The law only made the human condition worse. It's when you say, when you walk by a wall and it says, wet paint, do not touch, what's the first thing you want to do? Well, maybe it's dry now. (laughs) Or when you see a sign that says, uh, do not walk on the grass. There's something in us that while we're walking on the sidewalk, we we just kind of sidle over to the edge and get a little bit of our heel on the grass just because when someone tells us not to do something, we seem to be unable to help uh, to prevent us from focusing on doing that same thing. The law was perfect, just holy, but because of the weakness of human nature, Paul tells us, it was unable to bring salvation. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So salvation by faith is established in chapter 15, but if you look in chapter 17, um, God comes to Abraham and adds the sign of circumcision to the covenant. So it's important to understand this chronology to to get our timeline right. Abraham was saved and I'll use that phrase, saved, in Genesis chapter 15. Circumcision was a sign added to the covenant in chapter 17. New Testament believers, we are saved because we believe, we believe God, and God counts that to us as our righteousness. Baptism, which Paul talks about in this passage in Colossians chapter 2, is the sign of the covenant, but baptism in and of itself as a sign does not save a person. It signifies 
to the saving that has already been accomplished. When I think about this, um, rights in the church, R-I-T-E-S, rights in the church. There's a Latin phrase uh, called ex opere operato, which just means in the doing of the thing, the desired effect is accomplished. How many know Latin in three words, ex, ex opere operato, and it takes 10 words in English to explain the phrase. Ex opere. So, for example, in the uh, Catholic Church and, and in Orthodox churches uh, that practice infant baptism, they believe that by virtue of the child being presented in baptism, ex opere operato, the child is set apart, marked as a part of the covenant community. Uh, Godparents will show up. And uh, the answers which are sought for by the priest or the minister that would normally be be asked of an adult baptismal candidate, since the child is just a few weeks or months old, the child cannot answer, so the godparents will answer. Some people say, well, we can't find this in the pages of the New Testament. It's true. But Paul presents an an interesting correlation here between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament. If a child was, if a male child was uh, circumcised eight days old, and Paul says in the light, uh, look, look, look at it again in the passage, Colossians Chapter 2, he says in, in verse 12, In him also you were circumcised, this is 11, with the circumcision made without hands. Then drop to verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. So he, he's making the correlation between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament. Baptism in and of itself does not save a person. It signifies something, membership in the covenant that has already taken place. Now we need a potty break now because smoke's coming out of our ears. So here's a potty break. How many have watched the movie Godfather? The first one, not two and three, just the the old, the OG Godfather. When Michael Corleone, or is it Corleone? At the end of Godfather, the first movie, he has asked, he's been asked to be the godfather of his sister's baby. Last scenes of the movie. And they're in, a, they're in the Catholic church, and the child is being baptized by the priest. It, it's the Latin rite, because this is um, uh, before Vatican II. So the priest is intoning the baptismal lit- liturgy in uh, in Latin, Michael Corleone, as the godfather, is responding for the child. Uh, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And he's saying, I do. And then the scene is switched because Michael Corleone, at the same time that he's standing at the baptismal font, involved in this rite, which they believe is ex operato, by virtue of the fact that it's done, means that the effect has taken place. He is settling the score with all his enemies. Do you remember this? It's a weird juxtaposition. 
And I think what the movie wants us to understand is that you can be the kind of disciple that is just in right, R-I-T-E, only. The interesting thing about this is that the Old Testament prophets understood and they began to speak about the circumcision of the heart or the circumcision of the lips or the circumcision of the ears. Jeremiah says, um, uh, these people aren't, hearing what I have to say because their ears have not been circumcised. So now we're not just talking about the right, we're talking about, we're using it as a metaphor and the prophets are saying, so the, what, what Jesus said, these people draw nigh unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So even the Old Testament prophets understood that just having the outward sign of the covenant in your physical flesh was not enough to satisfy God. He didn't want just your private parts. He wanted your heart. He wanted your ears. He wanted your lips. He wanted all of you. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, these false teachers are telling you that you need to add this right of the cutting of the flesh, but Jesus Christ has experienced the death of circumcision on the cross for you, the circumcision of Christ. And when you're buried with him, that's a, that's a picture of your, what do we do with dead people? Well, nowadays we cremate them, but normally what, if somebody dies, what do we do with them? We bury them because Behold, he stinketh, right? I love that verse in, in the Gospel of John when Jesus talking about Lazarus. And the disciples don't want the stone rolled away because behold, he stinketh. You know, stinketh when you were in fourth grade in church was almost like, when you said it, it was almost like cussing, right? Behold, he stinketh. What do you do with a dead person? You bury them. Paul is saying the mystery and the fullness of Christ is this, that in him, with him, with him, with him, in him, you have so identified with Christ. In the waters of baptism, it's like being buried with him and then you're brought, you're resurrected to new life. You don't need anything else but the fullness, which is Christ. In him dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and in him, Paul has told us, you are filled. There are no further threats. There are no more tests to take. There is no more qualifications that you have to seek. In Christ, if you are in Christ, it's enough. Now you can imagine the threat in our day is not a circumcision but there are a million and one things. Those of us who are raised in, in legalistic churches or, or strident holiness churches, it didn't matter how many times you skipped the rope. I was never good at skipping rope. My sister was. Didn't matter how many times you skipped the rope. 
you could be counting 619, 620, 621. And if you tripped on 622, guess what? You had to start over. Paul is saying Christ, the circumcision of Christ on the cross has freed us from that performance mentality. That's why the gospel is good news. And even in our present circumstances, brothers and sisters, on this day, October 3rd, 2021, we, <laughs> I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds the future and I know who holds my hand. There are a lot of things that we don't know, but there is one thing that we do know that encourages us and sustains us, and that is the truth of the pure gospel that in him, with him, with him, with him, in him, I can truly identify with Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't make enough of the cross. He who said, when I came to you, I decided, I determined not to know anything among you but the preaching of Christ and him crucified. Lord, let that be our message. The glory of the cross. We cannot exalt the one who hung and died for us too much. We cannot speak of it too often. We must never become bored or inured to the message of the cross. May we ever, may we ever, may we ever glory in that cross. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.